Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. I'm your host, Everett. I'm here with Andrew's good friend, Will, and another guy named Mike. This is the show where we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing pretty good. Doing quite well, thank you. How are you? You know, I'm uh, I'm surviving, right? It's the weekend, the freaking weekend. About um, to have me some fun. About to have me some fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm drinking a $15 bottle of pumpkin liqueur. So, 15, not 50, right? Yeah, yeah, one five. Yeah, that's right. Just want, just want to make sure we heard that right. Drinking the cheap stuff. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I'm glad you guys joined us for the show. Well, we pretty yeah. much had to, otherwise there wouldn't be a show. So this is kind of a special show for us. I, I mean, we're not going to make a huge deal about it, but this is going to be our officially our hundredth episode of Forty and Twenty. Oh. Whoop. Look at that! Look at us, or you guys, and me piggybacking. Yeah, yeah, no, I we appreciate your piggybacking. Unfortunately, Andrew is uh, stashed away in the woods somewhere, uh, hunting the mighty elk with a bow and arrow, as mm. he does. So, as he does, so he couldn't join us. Uh, but I thought, well, what better, what better uh, alternative to Andrew than his best friend, and uh, or I guess his good friend. Mm-hmm. And well, our, we could, we and could our... say best friend. We could say best friend. That sure. sounds fine. <laughs> a lot of people have said that. A lot of people have said that. <laughs> So, Mike, this is your second time on the show. Second time. That's a record for me. You know, there is another watch podcast that sort of focuses on affordable watches. I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to say any names. But uh, you happen to contribute for their website. Time to and time, I know, yeah. And, and I know that when you were on the show last time, there was some... Uh, there was some talk on uh, on like a private Slack channel about yeah. what is this other podcast? We've never heard of this thing. And Mike's on it. I I feel like they had all heard about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think none of them have their, uh, you know, are, are that oblivious. Okay. <laughs> I kind you of know. made most of it up. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I think they um, they were all at least aware of it if not active listeners. Well, it, and and it felt like uh there was some crossover audience enjoyment there. Yeah, for sure. We we got some fun comments that said, "Oh, yeah, we know Mike from TBWS's, you know, network as it were." And yeah. It was Their fun. Patreon and, Slack. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And in fact, we got a call after that show from or a, a, a DM from Kaz, and we've got uh Kaz was like we we should do something together, and I was like, "Bro, I've been saying that for two years, decades. Uh, been saying it for one hundred episodes, yeah, decades." And uh, uh, so we've got a show planned. I don't know when exactly that's going to happen. Uh, scheduling is always a little weird. With yeah, uh, you know, we've got so and so's watch. We need to get them on the show, but that's going to happen. I'd say probably in the next month, month and a half for sure. So I'm excited about that, and I think we've got a fun topic too. So is it I think podcasting about watches? Uh, it, it, well, actually a little be. bit, <laughs> leave it there, leave it there. We don't need to just probing a, a little bit, a little bit. So, um, how's the weather out there? You guys, Beautiful. uh, yeah, it's fall over here and I'm loving it. Yeah. It fall has arrived and it is serene. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm going to be experiencing all four seasons or at least three of the seasons in the coming days where it'll be winter in the morning, fall in the morning to afternoon, and then summer by the evening. Yeah, 100%. That's, uh, yeah, you get about hour to two hours of summer late afternoon when the sun's really scorched, uh, but biting cold. It's like being in the Sahara, basically. Yeah, pretty much. The house is, uh, you know, the thermostat says 60 or so degrees in the morning if I don't turn the heat on. So, yeah. This, it's you know chilly. What, you got to you know put your slippies we're, on. It, we're in the sweet spot where you turn, other than maybe running the fan occasionally, you got no heat, you got no cold. You just, your, your house is a perfect temperature. It only lasts like a week or two a year, but it, right. it's the best. Mm-hmm. It's right now. Yeah. Savings. Yep. You know, we we had smoke. We had about two weeks of smoke. We had some very terrible fires, which I think everybody in the country sure. knows about. Uh, and we were socked in. I think we were at a oh, 450 AQI for about two weeks. So that's an air quality index, if you don't know, um, which means it's basically like every time you step out the door, you've smoked three cigarettes. Um, and it was pretty bad. And then two days ago, it started raining. And it was like overnight... And literally overnight, I woke up the next day and it was just back to normal. So it, it's been amazing. We've been, I've been trying to be out of the house as much as possible. That smoke is interesting because now I heard this in passing with a conversation with my parents who live in South Jersey, which is obviously south of me. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they said that they got some of the smoke from out west where they are, but I didn't, which I thought was kind of nuts. So... I've heard that too, that it has traveled, but I don't know how many people are actually experiencing it or just like it's affecting AQI. And so it's on the news. So people are like citing it. Yeah. You're probably, you're probably right. There may be like a psychosomatic thing too, right? You see the AQI is up. Oh my gosh, the smoke. You know, I, I also noticed that the AQI didn't track the visceral smoke uh on a one to one you know some days it would be smokier the aqi would be a little less other days less smoky but the air quality index was higher so it seemed to me that there was a delta there and i don't know what causes that getting the clean smoke yeah perhaps <laughs> perhaps well well i i think i think it makes sense for us to just sort of jump into this into this topic and and it's an interesting one and, and so before we start i'm i'm going to say we're going to talk about pre-orders generally in the watch market and so a caveat before we get started because none of us are watchmakers or watch brand owners and i think especially for a very small business there are hard decisions you have to make as a watch owner so we're going to have opinions today uh but our opinions are those of consumers this is our consumer uh and so to the extent you are a brand owner if you worked with a brand owner um Take it for what it is. These are the opinions of a, opinions of a consumer. We're not suggesting that you're a bad bur- business person, or that the business you, decisions you're making are are not good ones. So, is that a fair? Do you think I think that's a fair caveat? Yeah, I think so. And although we're going to be focusing on watches, I think this conversation can also be applied to a few other things where pre-orders are involved. So, yeah. I'd say if. Uh, you're a brand owner of any sort, whether that be a watch, a knife company, a video game company, who knows? 
um, just keep an open mind to uh, what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 if you can, don't get offended because we're we're all opinionated assholes. That's and, and very true. Just just like everybody else in the industry, you know, everybody else that that buys watches, they're they're all assholes, and they all have assholes and opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, you you I think introduced this topic when this we is were... becoming a trend, and I don't care for it. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you know, that, that is just the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. So I, why don't you tell us just what, what you were thinking when you brought this up? And This, this and, has come out of a lot of converse, uh, discussions I've had with, I mean, with you guys, with just other friends in the community. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of exposure to other pre-orders um, because as far as my enthusiasm, I direct it almost solely towards watches. Yeah. Um, and then also out of uh, a handful of conversa- lengthy conversations I ha- I've had with brand owners um, just about their process and why they do things and, you know, why did you use Kickstarter? Why not? Why did, you know, what, what are the financial implications of everything? Um, and just then as a customer and speaking to people as customers, just the, um, I think, frustrations really that come with some pre-orders um but not with others and that's i think what's interesting um that there are pre-orders that some people are totally okay with and not with others so yeah you know it's a deep well will you brought up something interesting when you said you said this is not just exclusive to watches you said the two things that struck my mind immediately are watches and knives i think you see this in micro brand watches and knives right both sort of boutique industries both sort of accessible for uh, a middle class person with a great idea mm-hmm. um but then you brought up another one you said video games i thought that's interesting video yeah. game pre-orders are are something that are, is pretty prevalent and, and has been at times pretty catastrophic um what what part of what part of the risk involved in a pre-order system is uh, is the general disdain towards pre-orders? What what part of that is the risk? Well, I think the, and uh, I'll I'll break this down in two parts. So I think the risk is really around getting something and it not living up to the expectations, and that's just general pre-orders. Anything that you do that you're pre-ordering where you haven't seen it uh, in the flesh or the metal, however you want to phrase it, and you don't know what you're getting, um, but when you get it, you can be thrilled and really happy about it, or it can be a total bummer. And when it's a total bummer, that's when you feel that, you know, you've been more or less duped, right? But there's, right. you know, there's some other things that can go wrong with pre-orders. And I, uh, you know, I have I have many stories I can tell about pre-orders really outside of what, the watch world. But I remember the first thing I ever pre-ordered in my life was the PlayStation 2. And... When it came out, I was literally the first person at the EB Games to Ooh, pre-order it. Throwback. Yeah, that's a that's a blast from the past. Like and this is what like two thousand, right, or ninety nine, uh, something like that. Yeah, I was I was yeah. pretty, you know, fairly young, and I had put down a you know a good chunk of my lawn mowing money, I guess you could say, on it. And I remember when I pre-ordered it, the guy said, "You're the first person to pre-order this." Uh, 
and when I went to go pick it up, they said, you don't have a pre-order here. Oh, it, no. You're, yep, yep. Your pre-order doesn't exist. And uh, maybe this is where I gained my general cynicism towards society, and I flipped <clears> out <throat> on the person working there. Um, I eventually left with a PlayStation 2, but that doesn't happen so much, I guess you could say, with you know watches sure. and knives and that sort of thing. Um, you know, if you pre-order it just in the way that online e-commerce works, you know, you pre-order something, you get an order number, you know, you, you know that you have it. Um, but I think that that can, you know, kind of lead us down the road that we're going to go down where, you know, we're going to talk about a couple things where it's, hey, I pre-ordered this, um, I'm going to get it in two weeks. Maybe I'm not going to get it in two weeks. Maybe it's going to be months down the road, you know what happens to that money as it's going along the pre-order route with both me and the manufacturer. Um, yeah. Well, let's maybe talk about some distinctions, right? Because when we're using pre-order as sort of a bulk phrase to refer to maybe things that are not the same, right? So we've got, um, we've got what I would call a, a traditional pre-order, which is where you sign up on a list, you give a, a vendor your money, with the expectation that in some relatively fixed amount of time, you're going to receive a product, mm -hmm. right? Um, that method, uh, that method, I think, is a spinoff of a crowdsourcing method, you know, Kickstarter, we might think of, or, or the other brands that do that, using a specific host, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a idea that using something like Kickstarter gives you a level of security that I think it probably actually doesn't. Um, right. with mul multiple stories of Kickstarters having gone bad. Um, but but there are other ways to do this too, right? I know Laurier is doing a waiting list, right? We've got watches coming in. Would you like to get on a waiting list? We don't want your money. We just want your name. And when the watches come in, we'll send you an email and you'll have X amount of hours to claim to claim your watch. So within that range, I think that that kind of sets the outer limits of our range, right? Perhaps you've got Kickstarter on the one hand, which you're going to give us your money. We're going to use your money to make this product versus, versus Laurier, the Laurier model, which is we're doing this thing, but demand's going to be high. So put your name on the list. So when they come in, you're, you're in line, right? Yeah. And you also have, the I think outside of the extreme of even Laurier, uh, that example where something comes out, you place the order and it's instantly available. You get it in however fast they can ship it. Right. Sure. You know. That's so there's also the that realm which, of pre-order, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that I is, was uh, just, yeah, that is the order. Yeah. Yeah, I was just right. gonna say that is <laughs> not a pre-order. Yeah. Um, you know, that is I think the ideal world where something just comes out, people have money to manufacture it and produce it and all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, these are the big brands that do it. They release a watch and you can just go buy it the next day. But I was, now, it was interesting. I, I was reminded in talking today with some brand owners and some friends in the community that, um, you know, Ball watches does pre-orders. They sure do. Which they is do, they, they do a lot of pre-orders. Yeah, I don't. I mean, they're. I don't know how big they are, but they've got legacy and such. Well, I believe Ball's owned by a conglomerate, right? Ball Ball is owned by 
one of these bigger one of these bigger conglomerate companies i think it wouldn't yeah, i'm not sh- most are yeah. but I'd, i'm not sure well, if they're ball, independent or not but ball was a an american company that went out of yeah. business in, in the mid you know after the war like uh, all of the rest of the american companies it is companies. currently owned by asia commercial holding commercial holdings ltd there you, you know, go which That's is not generic at all lvmh Richemont, asia commercial holdings ltd so it's part of LVMH. No, it is not. Is that what no, you're saying? No, I was comparing oh. it to that. Yeah. <laughs> it, with with your tongue planted firmly in firmly, your cheek, yeah. I can see. <laughs> what what's funny about Ball is they do so many pre-orders that I'm not sure if they actually release watches at all. Sure. I, I swear I get an email from them every other day telling me that they have a new pre-order. You're just buying an idea from them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just buying into the you're just now you've got equity. Yeah. Yeah. But we digress a little bit, I think. Yeah, well, I think it's important to note that in the world that we in the world that we sort of play in, um, you hear people say a lot, "I don't like pre-orders. I want the watch to be available, and for me to be able to get online, order it, and have it get delivered." But that is that method is not without its limitations, right? Uh, I, I think that the Halioses of the world, or or even perhaps the early days of Laurier. Um, you know, every single Hodinkee limited edition that's ever existed. That's how these things mostly get sold, right? And oftentimes you can't get one, right? Unless you're on right. the ball with your credit card number, practicing your... And, and as practicing... I can attest, even then, with yeah, my Gemini. Right. Yeah, I mean, Mike, we or, know I should that say one. Ward and Wound Gemini. It wasn't Laurier. It was... Sure, but yep. but same same deal, right? I mean, so that 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 method is not without its limitations, right? There's some there's some benefit to being able to get in line at a at a soft delivery point where there's no rush and there's no FOMO driving the clicks and you're racing mm-hmm. with folks. So I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong, but I just wanted to suggest that's still not a perfect world. Yeah, and I I think a lot of the angst with pre-orders comes with kind of what you said the FOMO right fear of missing out um but also it it does drive some consumer behavior in terms of the urgency of how quickly you're willing to hit that buy button yeah when you know that there's a pre-order on something that is a uh, in-demand watch that you know that you can purchase it online and um, if you get that pre-order spot you're going to get it and it's going to be a hot item um you know there's that itch you know that you, you got to scratch to hit that buy button that i'm going to be one of the exclusive people that get this and you know that that falls a little bit inside and outside of this pre-order realm because that that can go into a couple different things that aren't even pre-orders but i think that that's probably a big part of it uh with pre-orders is that you're getting in on the ground floor to that new release watch and that you're going to be in the first delivery that goes out the door from the brand when they're ready to actually assemble it and put it together and get it out to you. But how much is that, I mean, a real thing with, you know, yes, there are the old, the OGs and the, you know, the big names in the micro brand world and in the other worlds, I'm sure. But, you know, when you have an unknown brand, is that exclusivity and Kickstarter doesn't have a lot of exclusivity, but in general, is that exclusivity 
part of the motivation for you know clicking buy. Um, I think I think I think that wavers depending on the brand. Where right. you know, I, I like completely agree. like with the Seaforth, you know, mm-hmm. especially I think um, the second edition that there was just that's the one where there was the internet problems and people ordered were, them and they weren't enough for yeah, those people. I think and... second, I forget. I mean, he he did across Seaforth. I think Jason did almost every kind of pre-order you can do other than Kickstarter. Right. right. Um, and nothing was enough. And, you know, which is not necessarily his fault. If anything, it's to his credit. Um, but then, you know, you get, you know, I'll make up, you know, Mike's watch brand. I'm launching my sick watch on Kickstarter. You know, people aren't, concerned about that exclusivity they may just want to end on kickstarter too i mean if you want one you usually get one it just depends on what price you get it at yeah, yeah it, well that, right. that that brings up a good point mike because there are brands that and i'm i'm not talking about the brand new brands that you know no one's ever heard of and they launch on kickstarter and that's how we find them yeah i'm saying maybe the sophomore brands where they're releasing their second watch because i think that um, I know we weren't going to talk too heavily about specific brands, but I think Traska experienced that with the Summiteer. Their uh, Kickstarter campaign for that, I, I believe, filled in less than an hour. Real I, I think it was something crazy like that where, you know, they, they hit their, uh, I forget what they call it on Kickstarter, the, the goal or whatever it is, um, you know, extremely quickly. And like you say, does that mean that you're going to get one? In most cases, Yes. But I think with the Summiteer, there were um, cases where people didn't get them and they, you know, they had to wait. And that's fine. You know, he came out and said, we're going to fulfill all the yeah. the orders that we got on Kickstarter. But, you know, like you said, it may or may not necessarily mean that you're going to get it on release day one. Maybe you're in that second wave. And that's, I think, something that can drive some behavior and trying to get that button clicked real fast with a pre-order. Yeah, sure. Well, and I think maybe that's a, an interesting time for us to talk about some of the benefits of pre-orders, because I think that there's some obvious logistical benefits. And then I think that there are maybe some more holistic or philosophical benefits uh, to a pre-order system. But but maybe we'll take them in order. You know, logistically, it occurs to me that if I've got to watch, I'm going to production, I don't know how many to make. Right. Yeah. And I think oftentimes that's been the problem that Jason Lim has faced or that Lauren and Lorenzo Ortega have faced when they're making their watches. It, it maybe doesn't occur to them just how many people are going to want one of these. Right. And so that's what Zach said they, when I, after the Gemini thing that I shared on in my review of the Gemini, I messaged Zach of Warren and Wow and he was like, we did not anticipate this level of hype. I don't think they had had a watch sell that quickly ever. Yeah. And they've done I, I think tons I remember you telling me that, Mike. And he said, he was like, I'm sure he got a thousand messages like that that day, but he was like, sorry, we just didn't know. We didn't know this was going to be this big. And so one of the benefits to a pre-order system is you can sort of gauge, you, you can gauge at least, at least, with some level of certainty, how much interest there is, you know, minimum order quantity might be 
300 pieces, Typically, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you if there's going to be a thousand people that want your watch and you order 300, there's going to be 700 disappointed people, yeah. right? And, and so, but if you figure MOQ on uh, a 200 and change piece is sixty thousand dollars, right? Yeah. So, so if you need to make if you need to make four times that many, you've got to have a bucket load yeah. of money. We're talking about a quarter million dollars that you have to have in your pocket in order to take those to production. So, for for you know, say Mike's watch company, for instance, you might be able to come up with sixty thousand dollars. Can you come up with a quarter million dollars no, uh, to anticipate demand? That's, <laughs> that's yeah. right. You know, so you're anticipating demand. You're making some guesses. Pre-orders allow you to navigate that uh, with some degree of certainty. Maybe not certainty, but with some degree of education on the on the consumer demand for your product, right? And that's... It, it's different. Yeah, go ahead. Some of the brands I was talking to, which I won't name, though this isn't damning or anything today, um, who have used Kickstarter and not, um, say that that is one of the big reasons that they use pre-orders is because it allows them to gauge relative interest. It's not just about how many um, people are definitely going to, but they can, from their experience and industry experience, they can say, okay, I have a hundred pre-orders. I know from our past models and from talking to other people that that means I need to order at least 200 watches. Right, it's data driven. They're able to extrapolate from the numbers they have. But but it, that is even though they may have cash on hand, where they could they could do those hundred or three hundred, I should say, they could hit that MOQ with sixty grand. They have that cash on hand. The pre-order for them is less about. It, it's kind of a guarantee and for the money, but it also allows them to kind of project a bit better and by an accurate number to your point. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you, you know, I was just going to say, ahead, I think Will. that's kind of the crux of this whole argument, you know, where I'm, I'm sure there's some brand owners sitting here. If they're listening to this yelling at us right now saying, you know, you don't know about, you know, this, that, and the other thing of how we need to purchase the components that go into these watches. And that's why we do pre-orders. And that is certainly true. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, part of what we're talking about is not so much the the brands that are releasing their first or second watch i think it's more where i i feel it personally is the brands that are releasing their fourth and fifth watch you know yeah if if that's the concern you know why are you still doing a pre-order and that might be a legitimate question. It might not be. I'm not. I'm not at liberty to say if that's a legitimate question. But as a consumer, I can ask that question, and I can be put in my place by someone who knows better than me, of course. Um, but it, it seems like you're suggesting there's there's a level of, uh, that a brand achieves where it, there's, though these questions are no longer appropriate to pass on to the consumers. You, as a business, are established firmly enough that you can take responsibility for some of these questions. Is, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. Well, I, 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 sorry, go ahead, Mike. Well, to add to that, and does it bring up the question as consumers when a company is bringing its fourth or fifth model 
to market via Kickstarter, how you know how much can I trust that company? How well are they actually doing? You know, because that's a you know right. if you have to go back to Kickstarter every single time, every time I'm wondering like this seems risky. Why sh- why is this risky on Watch Five? Well, right. yeah, and and that's well, something that we talked about. Uh, you know, when we were talking about this topic was what what is the risk with your money? And I think that's where some consumers might get hung up on pre-orders and I know I have as well because I've been burned on Kickstarters before not not with watches fortunately um, but with a couple other things I've backed and you essentially end up becoming seed money for them to explore the options to manufacture this that or the other thing with um, a new manufacturer a new design process something like that and I think that's where it can get risky but if we're talking about a straight pre-order where um, I log on to your website, it's not Kickstarter, and I pre-order the the watch, whatever it is, and I'm promised this watch, then at least you know to some extent that you're going to get it at some point. Yeah. I I think that, especially as we've gone down the road of, you know, more micro brands entering, you know, the watch world, that Kickstarter can become a little bit of, you know, the Wild West in a way where you don't necessarily know what you're going to get when you back a project. Yeah. I think, so another brand that I talked to, and I'll read this directly from his message. The reason I did Kickstarter was so that I could spend less money on buying inventory up front and more on developing a better product. By going this route, I was able to put more money into tooling prototypes and overall just planning what I wanted. So what he was saying is, you know, Kickstarter, the money he did have, he was able to fully invest in development. By the time he got to Kickstarter, he had essentially all he had to do was get the Kickstarter funds and send them and the order was in. Right. So he was able to put all that upfront money into development and creating something and getting it perfected as opposed to balancing his budget for okay well i can only spend this much on development and at a certain point i just have to pull the trigger and buy these pieces and kickstarter allowed him Mm -hmm. to do that and i think that's a kind of a noble use of kickstarter but i think one of the things we talked about in the pre-show is that you know one of the big issues i have with pre-orders is i'm not necessarily against them i'm against them when brands launch a pre-order and you know their watch is 50 percent complete and they're mm-hmm. at the time of pre and then so th- they're using that pre-order period to either hastily finish their watch or they're adding to the deadline because oh things aren't lined up and oh we had to tweak this it's like no get that get that done in advance then post up and show me the watch that you're actually selling yeah and that that brings sure. up a good point where and maybe this is going to move us along this where how long is too long for a pre-order period? Um, there are some brands that do pre-orders that are uh, a week or two, you know, you're basically just kind of like we talked about before getting your spot in line to get that first shipment. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, let's just call it a glorified Kickstarter where you're getting seed money to fund your project. And you're doing that just outside of Kickstarter where you're, you know, using your own website to to get the funds, and that's that's what 
I get turned off to. Yes. Is where the watch is not complete, the development is not complete, and you're getting an interest-free loan from me to fund your project. That's where it gets a little shady for me. Disingenuous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a a good word for it. And I'm not saying that every brand that does that is disingenuous or is doing something you know, outside of the scope of a normal pre-order. Because we all not. know things co- things do come up that are yeah. totally exactly. unpredictable. Exactly, yeah. Like COVID, COVID-19 yeah. shutting I've heard down of it. Yep. Yeah. Chinese factories for, for three months. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's a good disclaimer to throw in here that maybe 2020 isn't the um, best <laughs> yeah. Yeah, case scenario for uh, pre-orders. Yeah. But, you know, th- these have been going on for longer than 2020. So, you know, we're having a general discussion here. But... I think that's, you know, and as a consumer, I know there are some brands out there that have had pre-order periods that have lasted longer than uh, six months. And as a, as a consumer, that would bug me. But here's the thing. I am not necessarily opposed to that, depending on the watch, obviously, I mean. If there's a watch I'm just dying to have, and the only way to get it is pre-order, and they say, listen, it's going to be a year. That's fine, as long as it remains a year, right? Mm -hmm. I think the issue is when those timelines go from three months to six months to eight months to 12 months, and then you're just being dragged and dragged along. You know, if it's clear up front, um, one of the brands I talked to said, listen, our, our lead time is always three or four months. And when they come out with a pre-order, it is through their website and everything is set up. So it is literally, and it's the same brand that said, we use this to kind of gauge interest um, and get our numbers right. They're taking the money and they're placing the order. And that's it. And so that time is just, it is just the inevitable production time of that yeah. is three to four months. We've got good prototypes. We we know what we're, we're doing. We mm-hmm. we're we're ready to go. We're ready to press press right. play. But we need to we need to know how many it is to make. No, I think it's I think that's reasonable. And, and I think it's a I think that maybe that's a good segue because you you know we could talk a little bit about uh, talk a little bit more about the downsides to pre orders because I think there are some. You know, I think especially in twenty twenty, I think we've seen. Halios in particular is the one that comes to mind. You know, uh, I think that he's got two very exciting watches in the wings, but the pre-order periods have been very long. Yeah. And and I think that there's a couple of things that's ha- that have happened in that time. I think one consumer enthusiasm for the watches has waned, but I also think that he released those designs so early that a lot of companies jumped on and they've sort of beat. Halios to the punch mm, interesting. On, interesting. on some of the exciting parts yeah. of those watches, you know? Mm-hmm. And so point. while that's a, that that's a negative, right? That's a downside. Um, and, and that cuts, that knife cuts both ways. Uh, but, but with that said, I think that there's something that doesn't get discussed enough in this, in this conversation, which is that the very idea that we're the type of consumers who are looking for new and exciting and on-trend things can really benefit. You know, a company like Seiko doesn't meet our needs regularly 
as a matter of course, they don't meet right. our needs. I think what's exciting about microbrands is you've got these consumers turned entrepreneur who maybe don't have a bankroll like Seiko, who certainly don't have yeah. a bankroll like Seiko, mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, with maybe a few exceptions. I, I assume Dan Henry is like Scrooge McDuck. Secret uh, but, billionaire, yeah. You know, that's right, you know, but, but with the exception of someone like that, by and large, these are just consumers. These are just watch enthusiasts that are like, we need this fucking watch. Why don't we have this yeah. watch? And, and so it, it gives us opportunities to enjoy the watches that we probably want that Seiko or Longines or Oris or name your mid-sized watch company or, you know, mid-level watch brand, they're not going to make that watch for us. They're not There's going a nimbleness. to. It gives us the yeah. opportunity. There's a nimbleness to being small and that nimbleness is facilitated by pre-orders and Kickstarter um, that allow brands, small brands to experiment and bring new things to market or try to bring new things to market um, and hedge their bets um, where, and this gets back to the last episode I was on where um, iterative design and having to kind of stay in a brand's wheelhouse too connects to that. You know, another reason Seiko sure. can't do that. Seiko has to stay kind of within Seiko. Tudor has to stay within Tudor, but these new brands can pop up and say, "It's blue." Yeah, right. It, Tudor, that's their wheelhouse. It's a, yeah. it's a really good blue, though. It's guys. I've heard it's a really good blue. Yeah, I have a, a friend with a firsthand account. Um, but that you know, these small brands can bring things to market that are you know maybe ridiculous um but you know it's kind first of a, first thing that comes to mind there is yellow dials right right on paper five years ago yellow dials like what and now rolex is doing it yeah and uh before before rolex he had uh it was all across instagram was hashtag banana gang you banana know everybody gang. with the uh Ten Hello, years Hallios, ago, that was a different hashtag. Hello, oh, Hallios, Hallios, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure yeah, you sort no, by right. recent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that uh, by being enthusiastic enthusiasts, we're actually participating in a super dynamic in a super dynamic industry, mm -hmm. right? I think that watches, like like many things, but not everything lends itself to being crowdsourced this no. way. You, mm -hmm. you know, shoes, for instance, don't lend themselves to being crowdsourced this way. Watches and knives in particular, these two things, I think that we've seen since the advent of, um, you know, e-commerce, I think is the, the term you used, Mike, and I don't think it's a bad one. Since the advent of e-commerce, we've seen these two industries, you know, explode, yeah. go in weird directions, sort of come back to the center and then and really be very consistent, smooth industries. And I think that you have to you have to thank Kickstarter and you have to thank pre-order systems yeah. uh because without those things we're still just everybody's rocking you know giant ugly lunar landers and we 
<laughs> I know. Yeah. So for the record, Mike's wearing a lunar a 45, 48 uh, I lunar believe lander. it's I'll 52. tell you it, it's I think it's 45, <laughs> but it wears like a really clean 44. <laughs> you, you know, we're able to be as consumers, we're able to have a direct say mm -hmm. in in the products in a way that you don't see without pre-orders is my point, right? The Lunar Lander, I, I only bring it up because- Lunar Pilot. That's a watch, Lunar Pilot, I'm sorry. Uh, the Bulova fam yeah, sneers at you, sir. I'm sorry, Bulova <laughs> fam. You, you know, that watch, that watch is amazing, except that it's giant, right? You, you know, we're able, to, we're able to shape those kind of decisions. And the brand owners have to think what are people going to want, you know, in a way that they wouldn't, you know, if you're a new brand owner and you're dumping your life savings into a company, you're going to be really thoughtful about what people want. And by and large, these micro brand own micro brands are owned by enthusiasts. Yeah. Well, ever plugged in, I, in a way, I feel like you're opening up a real good can of worms there. And I know Mike has touched on this in a couple of reviews that he's done recently where it's passion projects. Yeah. You know, and, and, I don't want to get too far off topic, but there is a... No, this is the topic. Well, hear me out. There's a difference between <laughs> a passion project where you're dumping money into something because you want to make it for yourself. You know, that that's a psychological thing there. Um, or you're making something that you think that the rest of the market wants. But if we're talking about 300 watches, right, or 400 or 500 watches, if there's a demand there, we're not likely to see Seiko do it. Oh, no, I right. totally agree with you. But but is there... But we're, but Avig might do it. They might. Mm -hmm. You know? But but that, there's they a difference have, between right? them doing it and someone making, uh, let's just say someone with a little bit of money that wants to make a MOQ of 300 watches so that they can get the watch built that they want and then never make another watch again. Well, and I think, you know, I, I reviewed it on the time bomb, um, but I think I shared it at least with you, Will, if not in the... We don't talk about, we don't talk about the time. Oh, the, the time fanny? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> that'll, yeah. that'll work. <laughs> um, the Retros Diver, right? Super cool, super cool story. Excellent, really well-made watch. Um, you know, this guy... He was literally walking with his dad when he was five years old, and they found this Dugena on the ground. And it was a little it happens to me right, all the that's, time. That's right? I mean, that's a Tuesday. That's just I call that Tuesday. <laughs> and you know, fast forward thirty years, the dad is eighty or something, and pulls his son aside at a family get together and says, "I want you to have this," and it's the Dugena. And he's like, "I can't wear this. Let me make this." This is, I mean, pure passion project. He makes, and he has 50 made, right? Now, his per unit cost is probably super high, but he did no pre-order. Yep. I mean, he just, he wanted to get this watch made. I think he correctly assumed that there would be other people that would buy this watch. Um, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't about to shell out the, who knows how much that would have cost, because it was, you know, German case, Swiss movements, German dial, this was not. Let me farm. This sure, maybe four four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars at least, probably maybe more. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. an AliExpress special. No, it was yeah, well, Ali Priority Mail. What's the name of this watch? The Retros you... Diver. 
R E T R A S. Yeah. 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 Mike, you yeah, did right. review that's this right. for our website. Was it for you? Yeah. yeah. You know what I did? Let me <laughs> correct myself. <laughs> yeah. Let me correct. You know why I was confused? Because uh, I sent it off to Lauren and he then reviewed it for his site. Uh, yeah. Okay. And just, and can I just clarify? We've got, we've got actually nothing against the time bomb at all. We're just giving yeah. Mike shit. Time bomb's awesome. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And actually, Will, I'd like to go back to you because I, I feel like. I wasn't able to glean from your uh, from your setup there. Do you have thoughts about this? Do you have feelings about about like is is one good? Is one is one better? As like a passion project versus something that is you know I'm going to continue on doing this. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, if if you know there was a watch that I wanted to make, and you know the only way that I was going to be able to do it was something like Retros, where I had to make fifty of them. If I had the money. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe that'd be something I do, but and this is just me. I don't know that in good conscience I could take other people's money, knowing that I was making a passion project. Right. Well, but like well, like, like I it, said though, the, you know, why not, it is a little bit of a story I mean, for another those, day. If those people want that watch, what? Yeah, what's but wrong I mean, I, you know, any watch you make, it, there's going to be almost someone else that wants to buy it. Right. You know, it's like, you know, weird kinks that people have. There's always someone out there that has the same thing, you know. Are is is your is your um is your reticence because of the the lack of commitment to brand equity? What's your reticence based on? I guess that's more yeah, I guess that's more what it is because at the end of the day you're buying a mechanical timepiece that is one day going to need to be serviced and maybe parts are going to need to be replaced. If this was a now, yeah, I see everybody on on FaceTime getting angry at me saying this. Um, if you're making this as a passion project and there is never going to be any replacement parts, when you buy that watch, you run it till the end of its service cycle and hope that the parts that need to be replaced are generic parts that are available. And yeah, and now, but yeah. but th- that's why I keep saying I feel like we have gotten off the rails a little bit and yeah 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 it's fine we like maybe maybe this is something we can explore for you know another show topic you know passion projects sure well no i think i think that that's a good i think maybe that's a good place to transition off the topic you know i i don't know that there's any answers here right it's more just a conversation about the the positives and negatives i will say I think that a system like for for an, for an established company, I think a system that Lauren and Lorenzo have set up their their waitlist system is particularly inoffensive to me, at least. I'd also right? say that yeah. website pre-orders, non-Kickstarter. I the issue comes in with established brands using a site like Kickstarter, which is not super transparent when you get down to it um and i guess the pre-order i guess you could do it on your own website and have it not be trans that as transparent but for some reason that seems more authentic but i i agree yeah. I, I i like the wait list the most but i would also include the kind of here's our website pre-order you know there are a lot of brands that do that um mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know part of the reason some brands do it is just the Kickstarter fee. They don't want to pay it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're with anything, there are right ways and wrong ways to do it. I think most of the brands that we see day to day, I think, are doing pre-orders the right way. Yeah. Um, what I'll say is 
I have made buying decisions on uh, watch A and watch B based on how fast I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there have been watches that have launched at, you know, the same week, same day, something like that. And if I had to choose between the two, I'm going to choose the one that's coming faster. Let me ask you this, though. Is, and I, I think I know the answer. I hope I know the answer. Is is that decision, <laughs> it's, it's not so much about getting the fact that you want the watch sooner. It's about, it's a, you're managing risk because if one watch says, listen, if one brand says, listen, you'll have this in a month, a lot less can go wrong in a month than the other brand that says you'll have this in six months. Exactly. And it's even better. And this is, I'm not going to say the two specific watches that I'm talking about, but there was Rolex an example where, yep, there you go. Uh, Where it was the watch came out today, you can buy it today and you'll have it in two days. Yeah. And the risk is gone. None. Yeah. You know, you, the, you, you're getting the finished product. And that that is appealing, you know, to me. And I know everybody's different. And um, there have been watches that I have pre-ordered and I will pre-order down the road if they, you know, come out with something that I like. Um, but uh, from my point of view, if it's available, I'm going to choose the watch that I can get in two days. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. For, I Fair think enough. just to put a cap on it, for me, I, I don't find enough pre-orders necessarily offensive or problematic, except when they don't stick to their timeline. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, and I know some of that is unavoidable, but some of it is avoidable. Um, and then also... Especially for established brands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or you, you, you're understanding the supply chain. A little they bit more. they sh- they know better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or where they're using that period to continue to develop a watch. If you're if you're putting your watches out on on Kickstarter, any platform for pre order, I mean, you should be done with the watch or be very very transparent that it's not. And most brands aren't. Well, I. I, I think that's I think yeah. that's good. Let's let's go ahead and wrap. I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna repeat our caveat, which is to say none of us are none of us own watch companies. None of us deal with the pressures, the stresses, the logistical concerns. If you are a brand owner and you're listening to this and you're like these guys are are being jerks, mm-hmm. let us know. Let us know. Let us know what we got wrong. Let us know if if there are things we're not thinking about or talking about. Let us know, and, and we'll we'll follow up. That that's something that we do from time to time. Um, Everett, I'd, unless your comment's stupid, I'd like to just follow up with that with a closing statement as well. I, <laughs> it'll be quick, I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. He's the editor in chief. We'll go ahead. Um, some of the things that we've been saying aren't just the three of us, you know, sitting around in a circle and talk about it in a closed loop. These are things that our fellow watch lovers and consumers have talked to us about as well. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say to a point. Yeah. If you're hearing yeah. us say this, there's probably at least at least two other people that have said it. And, 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 you know, if you want to come on the show and talk about the topic too, we, we'd be happy to do that. So b- bottom line, we're not, we're not throwing darts uh, here. I mean, maybe, maybe it seems that way, but if you do want to have that conversation, please just hit me or Will up and, and we'll have that conversation and, and, and too easy. With that said, pre-orders, we're done. <laughs> other things, Mike Grazak, go. All right, I've got a real hot one 
for you uh hot cooking enthusiasts oh yeah shit. watch out i'm bringing the the garlicky heat so okay, i don't know Ramsey. now Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah well how do you guys let me let me leave it how do you guys manage garlic as called for in recipes as far as mincing and pressing do you have a let garlic press let me tell you yeah i individually peel each clove sure kind of smoosh it down a little bit with the you know the the knife yeah. just to kind of crack flat, it open flat side of the knife right yeah and then i mince it with the sharpest knife in my kitchen drawer until mm. it is the smallest i can possibly get it Philistine. and what i mean by that is ex- i use a exactly garlic press oh well i don't do that <laughs> <laughs> i have done that and I mean, it is miserable and that's why i use a garlic press here, but here's my problem with I'm garlic I'm press. I'm anti garlic yeah. press. I don't anti- like garlic presses because I can never get them clean. You need a toothpick to clean them. That's that's you're, too much. You're cleaning. using it wrong. Well, I almost definitely am. The last time I did, which was I don't know, ten years ago. So <laughs> nine years ago, my aunt and uncle. I think it was a stocking stuffer. So Santa got me this thing. That is uh, a garlic twister. You can look it up on Amazon. I sent you guys the link so you could get an idea for it. It's this clear plastic thing. Um, it's got a flat bottom. So you you initiate those first steps. You got to peel it first. And then it's also very satisfying because you take, you take this while it's closed and just smash the garlic. So it's flat. You take that smash bit, you put it in. You just grind it up, and it basically minces it for you, right? It says you can do it with other things. I've only ever used it with garlic. Um, cuts down on the time, super easy. So the what the one I I'm I'm uh, hawking here is the garlic twister fourth gen. Uh, this is probably three gens beyond mine. It's got advanced. Do I need to do I need to pre-order it? Uh, well. So it's only yeah, on it's only on Kickstarter, though. and they only have three D renders available. Uh, that's the fifth gen. Um, so if you if if you get it on Kickstarter super early bird, it's going to be fifteen instead of twenty dollars. Uh, you could also buy the fourth gen on Amazon for twenty bucks. Uh, garlic twister fourth generation multifunction mincer and grinder garlic slash herb slash ginger easy to clean exclamation point clear in parentheses not you know we can debate whether that's better than the uh buttoned up jacket suit (laughs) um you know i think there's more utility here so that's what i'm bringing for you guys uh if you don't like a garlic press the the garlic twister garlic twister fourth gen multifunctional minster and grinder Man, the uh, the, okay. the chefs uh, that are our listeners are probably very upset right now. They hate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little upset. I'm gonna say right now, I'm a little upset. What are you so, upset you, about you, it? You, Why does it upset you? I mean, I'm not. Hey, listen, listen, I'm not upset. Mike, you, come on, come on, you're fine. You know what? That I've sounds done that sounds thing... disingenuous. <laughs> hey, you don't need a penny just to hang around. But you know, I've done the thing where <laughs> I've I've minced the garlic by hand and made sure that I you know do it the way that they did it back in the 17th century. Yeah. <laughs> and I've done it with the garlic press, and I can't taste the difference in my food. 
Well, that I, maybe... I looked this up before recommending this. Hey, is there going to be a difference? And most of the re- results were no, not at all. Yeah. I don't see not. Let me leave you with this. I don't see nothing wrong with a little mince and grind. <laughs> I, we yeah, thank you for welcome. that, Mike. Other things, Will, what do you got, Mike? Okay, so I think I put this out on Instagram. I know I did because I got a lot of responses. Uh, but I think I talked to you guys about it, too t-shirts love them i do too i love t-shirts I, they're, they're my mom- i've got like 20 oh, of them shit. i've yeah, i've probably got right? 40 <laughs> Oversaturated. Uh, so I, yeah i i love t-shirts uh my problem with t-shirts is is that i wear them so much that they inevitably just wear out on me mm-hmm. um so I asked some folks on Instagram and just put one of those little, you know, got a suggestion, DM me things. And I have a feeling you're not about to read my response to this question. <laughs> and and that's okay. Nope. I've got a feeling. But go ahead. Yep, keep going. Sure didn't. Uh, not afraid to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but out of all the responses that I got, the one that piqued my interest the most was the $6 t-shirt. Mm. from sam's club and i thought for six bucks what do i have to lose let me tell you i bought one now i have five they are the best t-shirts i have worn um so let me tell you a little bit about them they are six bucks they say eddie bauer makes them i'm not too confident with that aside from the name being on it because I've owned Eddie Bauer t-shirts and they don't feel anything like this. Um, but they are, I'm going to say they feel like a really good set of sheets. So if, you, if you've okay. got a good set of sheets, this is like wearing a t-shirt of that really good set of sheets. And I don't know how long they're going to last. And frankly, if they make it a year, I'm fine because they cost six bucks. I could buy four or five of them for what, a lot of these other premium t-shirt companies are charging for a quote unquote premium t-shirt. So I'd say check them out. They're six bucks, maybe seven bucks, six or seven bucks. Uh, Sam's club, Eddie Bauer. They're fantastic. Wait, are they the, uh, can I get them at an Eddie Bauer store? Not that I know of. Uh, Like I said, I've had Eddie Bauer. Yeah. They, they, Sam's club sells a bunch of Eddie Bauer stuff that, Mm -hmm. Um, I've shopped in both Sam's Club and Eddie Bauer, yeah. and I don't see the same things between the two. So I think it's just a someone makes them and they slap Eddie Bauer's name on them because, sure. you know, you know, Eddie Bauer has work, sick but... cachet. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> EB Tech, like it's nineteen ninety seven. EB Tech, there. yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. What well, do you that's have? Good. I'm just gonna say for the record, I've recommended, I've recommended to yeah. Will, and in a response to his Instagram query, the Los Angeles Apparel Tri-Blend shirts, which are Los Angeles Apparel is the resurrected. I was gonna apparel, say, which okay, still exists. Yeah, those are phenomenal. Okay, phenomenal. Uh, best right, t-shirt hold on. I've ever had. So let, let me respond to that because I did look into them. Uh, do you want to know why I didn't get them? Because why is that? American Apparel shirts are awesome for the first six months that you wear them, and then they're not. Yeah, they break. Yeah, they break. No, and that's true with these. But they're but for the six months that they're that they're in one piece, they're phenomenal. Yeah. 
So, uh, so I've got I've got kind of a weird one, but I know it's something you guys have experience with. So I thought we could just talk about yes, it a little bit. Uh, iOS fourteen dropped. Yeah, this it did. Week. Mm-hmm. And in terms of iOS updates, this is the first one I ever remember getting and thinking, this has got a bunch of shit that I really like. Mm-hmm. I agree. Being yeah. Being an iPhone user since 2000 and roughly, I don't know, nine, I can never remember an iOS update coming out thinking, this is awesome. I think iOS 14 is awesome. I agree. I agree. Yep. It, and and it, I mean, it's, realistically, it's they added what? as that. They, they added two features? I, I mean, I think they added a lot more than more than two features, but yeah, t- I mean, there's. there's I feel like there are two are like neat. totally novel things, which is the app library okay. and the widgets, and most importantly, okay. I think the widget stack. <clears throat> yes, and then yes. everything else was mostly things that are beefed up. Also, I think our group chat has greatly benefited by the inline yeah. reply. I was particularly say Will has good. benefited from that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have already, I have already found myself. So, so we're talking to the group chat, uh, to the group chat experience. I've already found myself in Instagram DMs, lamenting yes. that I don't have the functionality yes. of the new iOS yep. group chat. You know, threaded replies, uh, the ability to tag someone and give them a special notification. Um, some of these things that are like actually pragmatic and useful yeah. on a day-to-day basis you know we've been using you know we have a group chat the, the four of us including andrew uh that guy. we've been using uh we've been using threaded replies and and tagged incessantly messaging incessantly and, and a little bit silly especially at first yeah. but more recently actually productively right i mean this is a, a fantastic set of tools yeah well let, let me just tell you that before this came out ios 14 um i was one of the uh, i'm gonna use a terrible buzzword right now Beta testing. oh no even better i was one of the initial champions of microsoft teams at my workplace ah. which is basically the same crap as slack yeah. and when it comes to the inline replies and those conversations or whatever the hell slack calls them i got really pissed when people responded outside of the reply feature and they started a new conversation drove me nuts because it's like I can keep it organized so I really like that organization and when you guys are talking about the widgets and the app library widgets eh, take it or leave them but the app library consolidation get crap off my home screen yeah and the inline replies fantastic I love it now I'm gonna give a shout out to the Android users out there who are chuckling at us because they're like, "Yeah, we've had this shit for three years or yeah, five years or whatever wrong. it is." Their phones break and they never can update them. And... Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna no comment on that. But with that said, you know these are not new. Really, the point being, these are not new functions. But it really feels like for the first time that I can remember, Apple's like, "Yeah, we're gonna actually make our product significantly better in a useful, pragmatic way." I think Apple is really good at changing things that we don't know we need to be changed. Well, the, their you whole know, the and, new and privacy sort of, suite that came out with iOS 14 is like 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a facade, but they are fucking over a lot of third-party people with the stepping it up. And, I I mean, there was, I guess, enough app developers came at them and were like, you can't do this. Some feature where app developers have to ask permission for certain things. They delayed. Uh, they delayed for a year because so many people, so many developers yeah. got upset. Was it the well, the it, microphone thing or something like that? It was one of the things where yeah. they're basically listening or watching. It's something fairly doing. insidious. And, yes. and and so now and so now Apple is telling you when these things are happening, right? We've actually yeah. got a, there's a green light on my phone right now to tell yep. me, hey, the camera is yeah. watching you, right? Yep. And, and there's an orange light that comes on if it's listening to me. So. Um, I think these are things that people have been interested in, um, and 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 Apple's doing it. So th- that's it. I just want to say iOS 14 is actually really fucking cool. And if you haven't updated, I'd recommend it. It's a neat set of features. Um, Can I highlight Mike um, from? We really covered the gamut from uh, underground garlic mincer to <laughs> widely available. And everybody already knows about it. iOS 14 with sure. with uh, the perfect middleman. Sam's Club t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> got, a, got America right here. Shop yeah. Sam's Club. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. Mike, is there anything we're, we're going to wrap here? Is there anything you want to you want to add? I nothing else. Will, Will, would you mind giving us a quick website update? What's come out in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we got a lot of good reviews, a couple from Mike um as we speak. Uh I am putting out the review of the DIY Watch Club Diver Kit. Really so excited a, to know, read that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a you know, watch you assemble yourself, all that good stuff. I did a video review on it as well. Um more on a little bit on the assembly, but more on the actual watch itself because at the end of the day that's, you know, what you're getting. Um if you haven't read it, there's been a I don't want to say controversial, but a much debated article on go anywhere do anything watches by one of our new contributors KC. Great great has, article. If you haven't read it, please go read it. It's yeah, it's very fantastic. good. And there's there's a good reason for what I'm about to say. If you go and read it, it this week it was the most popular article on the website. Period. In terms of traffic, so that, definitely definitely highlighting that that, that that is beating out all of the Seiko reviews. It it is it yeah. is not only beating out uh, the two most popular Seiko reviews, which is the Dress KX and the um, SBDC 101, which was fairly new. Um, but it's also beating out the blue watch that we all know and love, the Tudor Black Bay 58 Blue. <laughs> I've heard that's a Can really ask... nice blue. Yeah, I've heard it's really great yeah. blue. <laughs> Can I ask a really specific question? Has Mike ever contributed anything as popular as the Gotta Watch, as Casey's Gotta Watch article? No, not yet. No. <laughs> all right. I was just, I was just wondering. I, I like to really just throw in duds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's cannonballs. Mike, Mike is well, here for pure content volume. Yeah. <laughs> Not quality, quantity. Well, gentlemen, it's been real. Thanks for joining us. And thank you at home for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 of the Watch Clicker podcast. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20 at the Watch Clicker. Uh, also, check us out on the website. That's obviously where we drop all this cool shit that we've been talking about. Uh, if you want to support Watch Clicker or 40 and 20, we get all of our support at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. That's how we get microphones. That's how we pay for hosting. That's how we do the stuff that we're doing. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, 
and other things we like. Bye-bye.